Bald Men on Campus with Jay Billis, LaFonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. Welcome to Bald Men on Campus. I am Seth Greenberg, joined by the illustrious Jay Billis. Now, we're missing one of the bald men today, uh, LaFonso Ellis, the nicest human being in the world. Although, we've seen a chink in the armor, Jay Billis, because originally we scheduled this podcast for today, and our guy, Fon, said no problem. But there was a small problem. His son is getting married today, and he's in Spokane, Washington. So if you're the nicest human being in the world, how can you forget your own son's wedding? My question to you. Well, I'd like to forget a lot about my son and daughter, frankly. Um, <laughs> I can I can understand. I can understand when you're scheduling out something that you you schedule over something like that. Uh, when you first brought this up, I thought, oh, no, Fonz didn't forget to go to his son's wedding. Uh, so that that's the main part. But I will tell you this, Seth, like speaking of of children and and forgetting and all that stuff this is obviously the holiday period and so one of the one of the most fun things of this time for me is i get home from wherever i am and i look through the holiday cards that came and so first of all like you know wendy and i my wife wendy and i we we all like do a final four and and your christmas card um with your beautiful families in our final four uh, it's fantastic. But the, the reason I brought this up, well, there are two reasons. One, uh, the, the, the picture we saw probably on Facebook or Instagram, whatever, of your granddaughter on Santa's lap is perhaps the, <laughs> no, no coach has ever looked at an official like that after a horrible call that cost him a game. Uh, she's so pretty. And such, oh, my God. I mean, she looked like she was going to tear something up, man. That was a great picture. And then, and then I have a question for you. So your, your holiday card made our, made our final four. Uh, we just sent ours out and my kids, you know, your kids are, are of a, an adult age. My kids are 27 and 25. When do they get their own Christmas cards? Like, why are they still on the parents' Christmas cards? Oh, they have their own too. Oh, they have their own. And they all challenge their mom to get them out first. Okay. It's like a con- it's a contest in the Greenberg. Well, no, actually, Jackie G doesn't have one, but but like like Paige and Ella, it's a Karen Greenberg basically ingrained on them is you know it's got to be out before Thanksgiving. So I mean, like it's it, it's a it's a it's a Greenberg family tradition. So yeah, uh, the mean mug is is everywhere. Uh, they've set that out, and by the way, that's why I've nicknamed Amelia gizmo because there's you there's just you have no idea like she just walks up to people and looks at them like oh you talking to me <laughs> <laughs> well it is hilarious absolutely oh, fantastic it's unbelievable all right getting into hoops Fonz, have a great day by the way congratulations uh you were in nashville and uh tennessee was in nashville i guess memphis was almost in nashville or they were in nashville and the game got they were canceled. there all right that happened to you a bunch of times last year. Not that many, Which, actually. It, it happened really? a couple. Yeah, uh, couple. Uh, oh, oh, I think only once that that happened, like right before the game. I might have had one cancel a day before, two days before. Right. But the only one that canceled right before was uh, Oregon UCLA. It was UCLA at Oregon, and it was because of the officials, not because of the teams. Yeah. Where do you think we're at? Um, we're in an odd 
place where, from my understanding, this particular variant, Omicron, is so uh, uh, transmissible that um, we're going to see this a little bit more in the next month. The, the question is, there are two questions for me. One, you know, how do we test appropriately so you don't have that happen an hour before the game? Um, look, it, it, you know, people are going to get this. It's right. nobody's fault. It's not like you're trying to put blame. But what you are trying to do is, is in this type of situation, trying to make sure that you can, um, you know, you had fans in the building, everybody's ready to go, TV, uh, uh, you know, Tennessee's just about to take the floor, all that stuff. And then you get a phone call saying, hey, we had two guys test positive, whatever it was. Um, so we're, we're going to have to figure that out. And, uh, and it's going to take smarter people than me, obviously, uh, you know, doctors, medical professionals, all that. I will tell you this, though, Seth, I don't know how you feel about this one, but I do not care for the idea of forfeit with regard to uh, a, a COVID game. And, and I'll tell you why. Like, I don't think a team should be punished for having uh, an illness. And then I don't think you reward a team for not having done anything. So if you give Memphis a, uh, a loss there, um, for what? Because they had two guys that got ill and, and we're worried about other people getting ill. And then you're going to give Tennessee a win that they didn't earn. Uh, that makes no sense to me. And I think we ought to stop this nonsense right now. If you really want to put it on people to, to have to play, then say if you forfeit within a certain period of time, you got to pay the other team's expenses or something. That's fine. But in competition, you don't, you don't go for it. Like if it were a thing where one team moves on, uh, in a tournament setting, I get that. I don't get it in like, okay, so now you get to count that as a win. Uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, especially in December, like you talk about in December, we have all this time to reschedule a game and figure it out. And more importantly, I mean, the, the, you know, I used to say control your controllables. Right now, this virus is controlling us. We, we've said it before that, you know, the virus controls us. We don't control the virus. So there are certain things out of your hands. Uh, my question is, we're seeing like the NFL talking about if you're fully vaccinated, limiting the testing in relation to symptoms. So in other words, if, if you're fully vaccinated and you don't have symptoms, uh, you won't be required to do the required testing per se on a weekly basis, a daily basis, or whatever the protocol might be. Is that something that the it would be a league or would be an institutional rule? You, can you see that's something that a, a university or, or a league would adopt uh, for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, it would motivate people to be fully vaccinated. And, uh, and the second thing is uh, because, you know, just in general, if someone's asymptomatic, uh, continuing to test people when they're asymptomatic, if they're fully vaccinated, does that defeat the purpose of being fully vaccinated? Even though we understand that if you're fully vaccinated, you can still get the virus and you can transmit the virus. Uh, you're just protected from the virus, hopefully, uh, uh, at a very high percentage. But can you see the NCAA saying, "Well, what's the NBA going to do? What's the you know what, what's the NFL doing? What's 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 the NHL doing?" And saying, "You know what? If they're basically saying if you're fully vaccinated, you're not going to be tested. If you're asymptomatic, is that something we can adopt? You think that's something that could be in a conversation?" Sure. And I think it could be adopted conference to conference. Um, there's no reason if the NCAA doesn't adopt it, the conferences can't, that they can't agree to uh, uh, to do certain things. I mean, 
you know, first and foremost, you have to do what's, uh, I, I think it's an obligation to do what's, what's best with regard to health and safety for your players, your staff, all that stuff and fans, things like that. It doesn't mean that, that you have to, um, you have to take measures that are going to be uh, so restrictive that you can't operate. Um, right. And we have to take no risk at all. Uh, the, the difference between now and a couple of years ago, Seth, in my view, is that we know so much more now. We, we don't know a ton about Omicron. We're learning about that. But we know more about the virus generally and about behaviors that, um, that improve our chances of, of keeping it away and, uh, right. and, and reducing spread. So that's a, that's a good thing. I mean, like two years ago, when, when we were at the ACC tournament and everything kind of blew up and, and uh, the season got canceled, essentially, uh, you know, the idea that we'd be wearing masks around, I, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about that. And now we know a lot more about that. So, um, and I, I, I'm okay with if the NCAA or uh, by extension, the conferences or individual schools want to have rules in place or protocols in place that are going to encourage people to get vaccinated, which, which I happen to believe is the right thing, sure. um, then I think that's a good thing. Um, as long as it's not, you know, sort of, some Byzantine system where you're just making it difficult on somebody uh, for, for a difficult sake, uh, it, it, it should make sense um, based upon their status. And um, uh, I'm, I'm okay with that because, you know, look, um, I, I'm not going to get in a political argument about all this stuff, but, but science is science. I mean, if you're vaccinated, you're, you're less likely to, to take on the viral load that you're going to get sick or that you're going to transmit it. There can be breakthrough infections, but, the uh, uh, the o the overwhelming majority of, of of this is from the unvaccinated, and and that that's the, those aren't like kind of opinions. Those are those are those are facts, and and we need to operate on facts. Yeah, look, I totally one hundred percent agree with you, and I also think we got to understand this. This is actually out of the NCAA's jurisdiction. It's going to have to be uh, within the conference and institution because the NCAA, when it comes to actual games and eligibility and, and eligibility, uh, when it comes to, to, to this, would be uh, you know they, their job is to basically oversee championships in terms of yeah, yeah, uh, but Seth, competition. I, I think I think they can. Now, I haven't I haven't looked into sort of the idea of whether they can put, you know, sort of health and safety protocols on all their member institutions. But I believe they can uh, if they wanted to. I, I don't think this would uh, now look Could the schools balk at it. Um, I, I think they could say, OK, in order to play, you have to satisfy these particular protocols. Um, I, I, I actually think that, that now they may not want to do that because of, each state uh, also has their own right. protocols that, exactly. that could override exactly. that. And, and then but I think they could another another lawsuit. So, right. I mean, uh, but, you know, the biggest thing is I, I, I hope that we're learning to live with this virus. Part of the way to learn to live with the virus, obviously, is if you're vaccinated, you have a, a, a blanket of security that you feel better about, obviously, living your life in a manner in which we're accustomed to living our lives. So I just hope that uh, we come up with something that is obviously safe and in, in, in the best in best welfare of all people involved. Uh, we're going to have games canceled. We understand that. Uh, but uh, hopefully that 
you know, they, they'll have an opportunity to reschedule. Then the conferences will look at them and say, wait a second, these aren't forfeits. Uh, you know, like what, what is a forfeit? A forfeit is, does it shouldn't fit under the, the umbrella of someone basically getting a virus that you have no control over. So unless that, that's kind of the issue, like vaccine. even just on the forfeit thing, which I think, you know, most people could agree, you know, at least we start from the same starting blocks on this, you know, sort of mentally, but on a, on a forfeit, like what's the committee going to do with that? Are they going to, are they going to say, hey, they say ignore it. No, they're going to say it, it's yeah. a game not play. So, I so mean, what's why, the point? I don't even know why we're doing it. Exactly. So what's the point? Like you're going to give somebody, you know, so Rick Barnes gets another win on his, on his, uh, you know, permanent record or something. And Penny Hardaway takes a loss. It doesn't make any sense. The game wasn't played. Yeah. Let's not do this crap. Um, hey, one, one other thing while I'm thinking about it, uh, you know, the news came out recently on, on NC State. Did you see that? Yep, sure did. So NC State, uh, uh, you know, an assistant coach gets a, a show cause, head coach gets a show cause, uh, university gets a little bit of probation, basketball program, whatever it is, and then, but no postseason ban. So, so far, I mean, I, I had to look to make sure they weren't talking about 1970, given how long these, these damn cases take. But that was all over the Dennis Smith thing. And but but so so far recently, we've had, uh, you know, NC State, uh, South Auburn. Carolina and Auburn, none of whom got a postseason ban and Oklahoma State gets one. And we're supposed to we're, we're supposed to, as reasonable people say, yeah, this makes sense. Oklahoma State was the least culpable and the most cooperative, least culpable, most cooperative and got a postseason ban. And Do you think they appeal. gave them that ban because they didn't self-impose like South Carolina and and Auburn did a year in advance? Like Auburn, which I don't think is right, and I'll say it right to Bruce when he gets online. I mean, like I don't think you should if you if you if you are accused of an NCAA violation in terms of self-imposing and saying, all right, we'll we'll do this. Well, you know, they self-imposed last year on a team that wasn't going to go to the NCAA tournament. But they did self-impose and they, they imposed some scholarship restrictions and, and recruiting day restrictions and other things. Uh, I don't think you should be able to do that. I should you, you cooperate. And then, you know, that's why you have these committees that oversee violations. I, I think I think Oklahoma State has a legitimate argument, except that they said, you know, we're playing in the NCAA tournament. We're going to appeal it so that we can keep this team alive. Now, personally, I don't think I think if you take appropriate actions as an institution, even though you've committed, say, major violations, which there will no longer be major violations with the way, the direction that we're going with NIL and other things. But here's what I think they should do. I, I think all these schools that get it after the fact, get get, get suspensions and, and uh, NCAA bans, that's ridiculous. You know where you hit universities? If you want to get their attention, you hit them in the pocketbook. So like if, if, if they have a major violation, all right. Uh, and you're not going to obviously uh, put a penalty. The players that are there had nothing to do with it. That happened years ago. You hit them with a million to two million dollar fine. That'll get people's attention. Yeah, that'll get I people's mean, attention. That, and, and to me, like a five thousand dollar fine. And I'm really happy for Kevin Keats because he can move on and kind of hopefully now, re, you know, have a better opportunity to rebuild because that 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 whole idea of the independent uh, investigation is is hanging over all these programs. So if, if so, what we've seen, Oklahoma State gets get, gets a ban. Auburn doesn't get a ban. They self-imposed a year before. 
NC State doesn't get a van. Uh, they get a $5,000 fine. Mark, Mark Gottfried gets a year, I think. Orlando gets six years. What's going to happen with LSU and Kansas? What's the I don't precedent? Know. Are, we, are we setting a precedent? No, because they, they, they will argue to you that, that precedent isn't applied, that each case is different. But, but to your earlier point, Seth, about imposition of a self, self-imposing a, a ban, that's still a ban. So, so what they're saying is, well, you didn't do it, we're going to do it. And, and you, you, so you, you really have no choice. And, and it's a, to me, it's, it's incredibly stupid. Like, I don't like postseason bans, period. I don't think they're right. the right I way to do these you. things. Um, I think you reasonably put blame where it lies, not, you know, not putting it on the institution for the fact that someone within it uh, did something inappropriate. And I don't think you lay it at the feet of head coaches. And I know some people don't want to hear that because they, they like to use the term plausible deniability. Well, all you have to do is show plausible deniability. No, you don't. That's not all you have to do. Um, you, have to, you have to show culpability. And look, the system is not only broken, we don't have a system. This is like medieval justice, you know, like where there's a bloodletting and uh, a human sacrifice and all this stuff. It's absolutely ridiculous. And, and it makes no sense. And your point about precedent, the fact that you can't look at one case and help determine what's going to happen in another is absurd. And one last thing, and then I'll get off my high horse that's standing <laughs> on a soapbox, is when, when like the, the self-imposing is really stupid. And the reason is, if you want to deal with the, the, the charging authority or the prosecutorial arm of this thing, as a defendant and say, look, we're willing to accept certain things and admit certain things. If you're willing to um, tell, tell like us what our bargain. penalties are going to be. <clears throat> exactly. It's a plea bargain. Yeah. So it's not a plea bargain. If you have to self-impose it, could you imagine if, if you had defendants out there saying, all right, well, here's what I'm going to do. They take their, like, you know, Oklahoma state shouldn't have had to self-impose anything. They were right. They were right and believed they were right. And, and how, do you, how do you go about this least culpable thing and get the biggest, biggest penalty? Um, because I would not sacrifice myself on the altar of, of the NCAA. That makes no sense. And it is not the right way to do business. And like, I, don't, I almost don't know what to say. And I'll tell last thing on this. I've had ADs tell me on some of these small matters, like take Oklahoma State and NC State out of it, but some of these small matters, like uh, like what happened at UMass Tennis, where they had a phone, yeah, they had a phone jack, a two hundred fifty dollars phone jack um, that led to the vacation of of records of of the tennis program and all that. I've had ADs tell me. They're putting me in a position of if I find one of these things to say, all right, let's fix the problem and not report it because we're going to be treated unfairly. So why would we self-report something that is going to get that is going to get us unfair treatment? And, and when you have people of integrity saying, why should I do that? Then you've got a really broken system. And that is happening. And if Mark Emmert and his Mary band up in Indianapolis want to believe that's not happening, it's happening. And people are asking those questions. No, I, look, I, I agree with you. And, and, and what happened at UMass, uh, you know, was it's almost in it's hard to comprehend the punishment and the crime yeah. and, and the lack of empathy, really, 
to the people that put in so much time and worked so hard to achieve a certain goal and made an honest mistake that, you know, basically was minuscule in, in, in the bigger world. It's almost, it's almost like Jimbo Fisher said, when he was talking about NIL, he said, NIL has been around for a long time. It's just legal now. Yeah. You know, I mean, so I'm like, he was literally just basically admitting that, you know, we're talking about all these different violations and NIL and the importance of NIL and NIL has been going around in terms of, it hasn't been NIL, but conducting business in that way, it's been around for a long time. It's been around, you know, from the beginning of, of, of college bad, from way back when my dad played for Claire B, certain guys got treated better than other guys. That's just the way it is. It was, a, hey, yeah. NIL was in it at the beginning of the NCAA when they had uh, the very first event, which was a, a crew event was rowing and it was sponsored. So the players were sponsored. So it's, it's, it's been there. It's been there forever. Before we move on, there's something we need to mention. The annual NBA on Christmas Day tradition continues with five of the best gifts anyone could ask for. The star-studded schedule starts at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on ESPN, with the Hawks taking on the Knicks at Madison Square Garden, world's most famous arena. Then over on ABC, the Celtics square off against the Bucks, followed by the Suns hosting the Warriors. Later on ABC and ESPN, the Nets battle the Lakers, and the day capped off by the Mavs clashing with the Jazz at 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 Pacific on ESPN. The Utah Jazz, America's team. <laughs> Uh-oh, wait a second. Speaking of sponsored, look at him. He's in his office. He looks all dapper. The great Bruce Pearl, head coach at Auburn's, joining us. Hey, Coach Pearl, before we get into important stuff well semi-important stuff let me ask you you're watching your team you have your two games in purgatory what was it like was anyone allowed in the room i like were you <laughs> did you ever throw anything at the tv i mean did you like you know, like did you see something and just like have an out-of-body experience and were you sweating because we know you sweat a little bit during the course of a game uh, all of the all of the above all of the above. I just just put yourself in my position, and you would have acted the same way. It was uh, they probably should have had a camera on me just to for the Christmas party. I mean, it was uh, uh, you know the same thing. I, I don't. Act, it didn't act any different in front of the TV as if I was on the TV. So what's the, what's the, what's the what's the difference? Hey Seth, on uh, uh, you know Bruce gets a lot of credit for being a great recruiter and a great talent evaluator, but I would beg to differ with that. Do you know who his first recruiting call was to? It was to you? Can you believe oh, that's that? Right. That's right. That, that, whoa. Back in the Iowa days? No. Stanford. Oh, Stanford. 19. Damn. How 19. can you? I mean, Billis is a cerebral guy. How did he say no to Stanford and, and Dr. Tom? I'd already well, committed. How do you? Uh, wait, wait, wait. Versus Duke and Mike Shevsky. I think he, I think he made a pretty good decision. What do you? I think? mean, it, wait a second. Wait a second. He wasn't Coach K back then. He was not. Like, that's a, that's was, absolutely true. He was a dude that got the job from Army, and like people didn't, he couldn't even spell his name. Still can't. But Bruce, so Bruce uh, with Dr. Tom, they come in. Dick DeBizo was the head coach at Stanford, yeah. who recruited me a little bit, and I took a visit to Stanford because my mother made me go there. Uh, she always wanted to have a kid go to Stanford. And and uh, after DeBizo got fired, 
uh, Bruce Pearl called me on behalf of Stanford to see if I would be, because of the new, the new regime coming in, if I would be interested in sort of changing my mind. And, uh, and I, I said, uh, I said, no, thanks. I appreciate it. But can you believe that though? You would think he would have picked a better player to make his first phone call to that. What, what a, what a horrible He never saw letdown. you play. It, it, it's, he's no a great kidding. evaluator, but he never saw you play. <laughs> he just read Don Mead. He read, he read something from Don Mead. Don Mead. Yeah, yeah. Al Lewis. He, he got, he got all of his information from Al Lewis. Did you guys ever see Al Lewis at the summer league games? I know Seth, you did. All the time. Grandpa from the Munsters. Yeah. Jay had two things you needed. He had the he had the grades and the size. After that, I wasn't certain, but he had those two. And listen, what a class, Jay, Jay, what a class you had. Mark Allery was really close around that time. Uh 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 wasn't it David Butler? Um, Greg's older brother. Yeah. Uh, there were some good guys. And I, yeah, the two most famous guys that said no to me at Stanford were Jay Billis and then Quinn Snyder. Uh, and they both chose Duke and Mashashevsky over Bruce Pearl. You know, I, you know, it makes sense to me, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Things have worked out good for those guys. It was probably, it was probably when we found out that you had been the mascot at Boston College. <laughs> No, Stanford wasn't Stanford then. It was it was the school then, but it wasn't quite the basketball program then. And uh, but Dr. Tom did get it turned around. Uh, Howard Wright, Todd Lichty, uh, a couple other guys, and then and when we handed it over to Mike Montgomery, and of course Mike Montgomery did a phenomenal job with it. So we helped get it started, and and then we went on to Iowa, and um, and uh, Dr. Tom was a phenomenal mentor, a great great teacher. I think if you made a list, guys of the top 10 coaches that don't get enough credit for how good they were back in the day. I mean, people don't forget. They talk about the Big East Conference. They talk about, you know, John Thompson and Jim Bam, Luke Onaseka, Jim Calhoun. Go back and look at the Big East record. Go look at Boston College. He was kind of like he was he was kind of like the Seth Greenberg of the ACC, you know, had a, you know, didn't get nearly as much credit as uh, as he deserved. What 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 did what did you take from Dr. Tom that you're still using today, Bruce? Like it, whether it's in practice or in games, thing things that you you picked up from him. I, I, I'd say half of what we do, uh, I got from Dr. Tom. Um, our, our our transition offense, our our four out one in spacing, the the flex cut uh, uh, basis of of our of our of our secondary offense. Um, and then, you know, it was interesting because Tom was a great pressure defensive coach. Uh, it was great zone, go, great, really good, great offensive mind. He, he, he believed, uh, he didn't believe in great man-to-man defense because he actually wanted to let you score so that he could get the ball back and go down and score again offensively. And he thought that teams that were really good defensively, lower scoring games, he just, that just wasn't his deal. And so when I became a head coach, I went to, I was at division two Southern Indiana. I went to Bob Huggins. At, at West Virginia, at, at Cincinnati. Um, and Bob Huggins was sort of a Dick Bennett, don't let the ball get middle sort of disciple. And he took it and did his own thing, put it in the box, keep it in the box. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I didn't know Coach Huggins at all, but I called him, I brought my staff over there. He had a black tie event that night. And after we watched practice, he invited us back into his office where he was, you know, changing into his tuxedo just to finish talking to a couple. That's of a bad sight coaches. right there, by the way. 
No, I'm just saying, Scott. I mean, a bunch of Division II coaches where nobody's from nowhere. And he hadn't finished quite explaining what he wanted us to understand. And that's who he is. That's who Hugs was. And so the, the foundation of my man-to-man defense is what I got from Coach Huggins. Well, where did you get – so in my judgment, you do – you and Bob McKillop do something better than anybody I've ever seen, and that is guard – out of bounds, out of bounds under, especially put in a bunch of length on the ball. And I think McKillop used to call it five guys, five seconds. That's all you got to do. And, and, but you two do it the best. Where did that philosophy come from? And, and how long have you been doing it to the level that you do it now? Yeah, that, that was Tom, that was coach Davis. Uh, and, 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 and we just kept it, kept it going. Uh, and I've had a lot of coaches come to Auburn and talk to us about it. And, and you see more and more people doing it. It's real simple. Like, you know, McKillop said five seconds um, and 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 uh, um, size on the ball. The idea simply is this. You got the ball into the basket. It's a dangerous place, but it's a dead ball situation. All right. It's almost like, Jay, you're in the post and you've gone to work and you've pitched your dribble up. Now everybody else needs to frame and work for a five second count. And except the ball's under the basket. He can't dribble it. He can't shoot it. The only thing you can do is pass it. You've got the backboard as a protector. Also, which is going to limit some of the some of the passing. So the passes that he can make are those bounce passes in the paint. So if you get some little guys in there, they've got an advantage. This is advantage in a 50-50 ball. And if you can get them to throw the long pass, well, then you got size of the ball, got a chance for deflection. It's a dangerous place to have the ball because people score out of it. So we spend a lot of time trying to defend it and turn you over. And then it's all about prep. If you're going to play Auburn, that's one of the things you got to work on. And when you're working on that, you're not working on other things. It's a good point. Speaking of working on it, I look at your team and the DNA of your team always remains the same. The identity always remains the same. But this might be the biggest team that you've had. But how is how does that fit in with the way we know? Look, there's going to be pressure. They're going to play fast. You're going to be aggressive. You're going to get after people. Uh, playing Jabari, who's you know, I think is could end up being the number one pick in the draft and Walker Kessler together. How does that impact how you approach the game? Because it, it's different from what you normally have. Yeah, it, it is. But if, if, uh, if, if you let people run their stuff and you let them run their offense and get to spots on the floor they want to get to, they're going to get really, really good looks. And so we try to be as disruptive as we possibly can. And so the way it can break us down, then if you're going to extend, then we're going to take you off the bounce. Well, you're going to take us off the bounce and you're going to be met at the rim with some size. And so uh, we're challenging shots at the rim. What there needs to be is some rotations. When our bigs come over, how do you rotate and get to the backside rebound? You'll notice we got slapped on the boards against St. Louis. That's an issue for us. So when you break us down and help draws, your, your backside rebounding becomes compromised. we got to do a better job uh, with all that. But the defensive philosophy still remains the same. We don't want to let you run your stuff. Uh, we want to try to turn you over. We want to try to create some offense, some defense. And, guys, I'll tell you what, the, the, the game this year is more physical. They're allowing more physicality. I think it's been easier, actually, for the officials to call the game when they allow more contact and they don't call the little things. I think overall it's probably a good thing. But what it's done is it's made open shots really a premium. I mean, getting the ball inside is no longer a high percentage look. You're going to turn it over trying to get it in there. You're going to, you know, your guy's going to, you know, shoot 50% of the time when he gets it. He's going to get hit every time and they're going to, it doesn't get called. And so hunting open shots 
and taking open shots, even though you may think it's not a great shot, look, it's clean, it's open. You better shoot it because you might not get another one. You know, the last time I looked, Bruce, you, your your turnover margin was near seven. So you're 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 forcing about seventeen turnover. Only turn it over about ten, if I remember right. Yeah. And but but your point on the rebounding. So when you're when you're scrambling to the ball and you're making a rotation, um, is is that something you think about throughout the season? Like, do we want to keep doing that stuff if it compromises rebounding, or or because of the turnover difference, you're willing to accept that? Yeah, does that gotta, make sense? yeah, it does. Got, got, got to accept it. And then, of course, your shot blockers have got to make decisions. I mean, don't go – you don't want to put two guys on the ball. That's the biggest right. thing. If he's turned the corner, he's beat. Then you got to come over, and then there's got to be more than one rotation. you got to rotate, and, and I'd like for my other big to come in and get to the backside and rotate the guard out. Now, that just takes time. And, 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 and you know, when, when, when coaches get asked a question, I think probably when, when commentators or the public – would hear this answer, they'd be like, yeah, right, that's coach talk. We are still teaching. We are still growing. We are still learning. And it happens throughout the season. My goodness gracious, we played 11 games. I've had Jabari Smith. I've had him for 11 games. How many games you play at Duke over your career? And how much did you benefit from all the experiences? So to teach that defensive rotation, it's got to be something that's going to involve. And, and, um, and, and, and no, we're going we're gonna to keep doing it because it's been pretty good. What are you doing? Like you're, you guys are done with the finals. Obviously, holidays are here. Uh, you've probably got six weeks off. Hopefully, your team stays healthy. How do you approach those four six weeks? You talk about always teaching. Is it film? Is it walkthrough? Is it live? Is it because I know one thing, Doctor Tom, he didn't practice very long when he yeah. got into the season. Right, he cut his practices way back because he wanted yeah. to have his best effort during the game. So, but. You he had a tea time. It. What are you talking about? He had a <laughs> yeah, tea time. Yeah, exactly. At Stanford, I'm sure he did. Uh, Not in Iowa. He didn't, he didn't have any tea times in Iowa. And that was before simulators like Phyllis has in his basement. So, I mean, uh, how do you how do you find that balance? Because yeah. you want your best effort in the game, uh, yet you have such a young team, you've got to speed up the process. Yeah, you know, in in season when they're in school, um, the games come fast and there's so very little time. You got to get to the next play. You got to get to the next game. And so oftentimes the preparation is so short and they're in class all day long. Um, you know, there's, you're not doing nearly as much teaching now from the, from December, let's say 14th, the last day of finals. And we don't go back to school until the middle of January. We've got those four weeks. We'll go. We'll, we won't go longer in practice, but we'll have longer film sessions because they're just such great opportunities to teach. And, um, and, and, and look, the teams that grow throughout the season are the ones that are going to be playing in, at the end. That's the bottom line. And the teams are, that are willing to go ahead and get better and continue to examine themselves and continue to grow. So uh, it's a, it's a long day, but now train like pros. You're, you're, you're a pro right now. You don't have to go to class. And so what are you doing with your stretching? What are you doing with your with your nutrition? What are you doing with your sleep? What are you doing uh, with your individual workouts? And yes, less is more. The, the the hardest working teams in the country are overtrained, and there are a lot of them, and they and they don't they don't play well at the end of games, and they don't play well at the end of seasons because they're they're overtrained. Coaches have worked them too hard. Just one question on the film: Can, can you talk a little bit about how you watch film and and whether? whether you believe players need to learn how to watch film. Oh, 
You got well, from one, I got to stay awake. I mean, that's the one thing you got to learn. You got to learn to stay awake. That's important. <laughs> and you know, I, I probably watch too much film with the players, and they but they know that coming in. Um, and that's look, that's what's that's a separator for us. Um, we we try to break things down and, and have clips of certain things to make certain you know certain teaching points. Um, and look, when when you do a scout and you scout an individual opponent's tendencies and you're spot on with those tendencies, that gives your players a level of confidence. All of a sudden, Jamari Smith says, holy cow, everything coach said that kid do, including what time he went to the bathroom, uh, he was spot on. That gives Jabari confidence in other things that I may say. And, and, and so, you know, little, little things like that. It is important for individual development. It's, it's important for team development. And you guys have all the bells and whistles on your video now. I mean, like one, they can see it on their iPad, so you can send them all their own highlights that they can look at and see. And, and you can grant, you can put, you know, basically uh, put different types of uh, uh, emojis or whatever else, yeah, you know, know. Have you, uh, on those. You can put, you can put, you can talk about talk over it as well. Right. I mean, you yeah. can do a lot of things with video that basically back in the day when you had a VHS and a VHS and you were going tape to tape, you couldn't do right. so right. you can keep their attention. Plus they're watching, they watch music now. I mean, <laughs> like they're used, I think, I think young people are used to watching and basically absorbing and, 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 and learning through video almost more than they are any other way of learning. Is that true? I mean, like, do you find that with the, with your guys? It, we, we do. And, and, and you're right. They do have the equipment to be able to watch it on their phones and their iPads and we're able to send them. So they get, get as much as they want and it's all very secure. They get it and we take it back. So they don't have it very long. Uh, Cause you know, in, the, in today's transfer world, I don't want, I don't want everything going out to the next spot. Right. You know, you got to worry about you know, what, what is it, intellectual integrity or I don't know what you call it. You know, what we don't want the Chinese to have, we gotta, you know, we gotta, you gotta hide it. So it's not, and it's not like what we're doing is rocket science, but um no, I mean, I, I think that uh, you guys talked about culture and um, look, getting them to play hard, getting them to play, play together and, and um, you know, not worrying about their individual numbers like the last few guys we've had that have gone one and done or been there a couple of years and developed. They were 13.7 rebound guys that played 27 minutes, but their teams won. And, and the scouts are smart. Like Jabari Smith's a great example. You know, he's gone from wherever he's gone, top 10 to top five maybe top three, whatever it is, because he just came to Auburn and impacted winning. He's taking good shots. He's not forcing bad shots. He's not trying to do too much. He doesn't look selfish. He makes the other guys better. He's been a great teammate. He sits in the front row of the women's basketball game. He goes to the Iron Bowl. He's experiencing college. You know, the, your, 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 some of your greatest memories uh, are from your few years in college. Some of your best friends to this day, lifelong friends were guys you went to school with. And, and I just think that guys that are giving that up and families that are giving that up just to get paid a, a year sooner. Um, I think they're, I just think, and I've talked to a couple of guys that have done that, that we recruited and without naming names, you know, and they all say, gosh, coach, I wish I'd have gone to college for a year. Just, I wish I wished I had that experience. Just, just, just the fun, they're kids. And I, you know, shifting gears to COVID, shifting gears to COVID. I want to give the sports world, some kudos and some credit because, you know, we, we, we've tried to get through this virus as best we possibly can. Let me tell you something last year during a COVID year, 
Um, Sharif Cooper and JT Thor came here as, as Sharif certainly as a, as a McDonald's All-American who only got to play 12 games for me. JT played all season. He made unbelievable progress. Those kids went to class. Those kids went to school. And guess what? They got drafted. Life went on for those kids because we played a college basketball season because we kept them in class. We try to find a way to deal with the virus as best we possibly could, as imperfect as we could. We stayed in school. I, guys, I can't begin to tell you. How, the last year's transfer portal was insane. Half the reason was depression. These kids were quarantined. They were separated socially. We brought them their food, and we opened the door. We stuck it under like they were in jail for fear of what the virus could do and going to a restaurant and things like that. And if you talk to kids, and, and then you, you trickle it down to high school kids who are even more vulnerable, trickle it down to middle school kids who are even more vulnerable, there's got to be a trade-off. We've managed to keep them in school. We managed to have life be as normal as possible so they could get from this year to the next. And, and it's great that we're, we're sort of back and these kids get to a, a, a experience uh, college. Right now, obviously, you've seen games canceled. Are you do, uh, doing anything different with your guys? Are you trying to stay as normal as possible, even with – obviously some of the delays in the Omicron and, and yeah. the, the, the ability for that to transmit so easily. Yeah. I mean, because a, I mean, you got to, we're learning to live with the virus is basically yep. what we're doing. We're learning to live right. with the virus, like getting your team vaccinated, uh, making, you know, getting your team boosted, things of that nature. How yeah. difficult is it like that for a coach? I mean, you have to address it with your team. You can't yeah. make them do anything. Right. How, how difficult a conversation is that with, some of your team members. Yeah, it's 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 it, it's it's di difficult, but I've always been. Let's put it on the table. Let's talk about it. You know, let's 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 talk about it. When the whole national anthem thing was an issue, let's talk about it. You know, there are protests going on, and 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 you have you know young young African American athletes in professional sports, and they're all kneeling during the flag. And yet, I'm at a college like Auburn. Um, you know, that is conservative and it is patriotic. Can we find a way to support the protest? And, 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 and draw attention to the fact that there are inequalities in this country. And can we do something about it? Or do we have to do it in the way of protesting our country? Is there, can we find another way? Can we accomplish both? And so we were able to raise a lot of money for scholarships for students of color and uh, uh, have uh, uh, not, not as well served by the system. And we did that. We called it the Together Wheel Wheel Scholarship Fund. We raised lots of money and we're raising more money to bring more people that look like us or them to Auburn. That's, I think, something that's really positive. There was a trade-off there. So what's a trade-off with the virus? My team is vaccinated, but I didn't mandate it. But we educated and we, 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 we educated as best we could. Yes, we encouraged. Um, and yes, when you were vaccinated, the testing protocols changed. And so the guys weren't having to get up twice a week at seven o'clock in the morning. And the only reason why we tested them early was so that we could get the test back early. And, and, and it's, it became sort of a, a more of a convenience thing for some, some had to overcome the fear, the historical fear, uh, particularly our, uh, our black players. Cause don't forget Tuskegee, Alabama is 20 minutes from Auburn. Right? We, they know the history. And so there's a lot of mistrust uh, about the information that's out there, but, we just decided, let, you know, as a team, that's what we're going to do. Um, you know, the booster thing is going to wind up going to be the next conversation. Uh, some, you know, 
it just it's just it's just something. No, we've not done that yet uh, as a team. Uh, but we're we're masking a little bit more. We're we're trying to social distance a little bit more. The big challenge, guys, is Christmas break. The big challenge now is after Wednesday's game against Murray State, which, by the way, Murray State's got a our thirty-eight game. number, a thirty-eight number in the net. I told our guys yesterday. I said, you know what Kentucky's number is? Kentucky's number is thirty-two. They're they're really good. Okay, Murray State's number is thirty-eight. You know, and right now, as a team with the way they play and as experienced they are, great opportunity for us. But we're going to have our, we're going to have our hands full. By the way, that's not a bye game. I went to Murray State four years ago on a road game. It was actually two for one. We played John Morant as a freshman. He was good. He came back to Auburn the following year. He was unbelievable, and uh, you could see how special he was. So I love doing that. I played at Murray State at Auburn. I've played at South Alabama at Auburn. We played at South Florida set your old school. I mean, what SEC team goes, but it's for me, if I can't beat South Florida, Florida, I can't beat Florida at Florida. If I can't beat South Alabama, at South Alabama, I can't beat Alabama. So we do those things. And, 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 uh, you know, maybe that's part of the, 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 the fact that I was so mid-major and so division two so long and none of those teams would ever play us. Did you ever schedule a game like that that you really regretted afterwards and said, what, what, oh, what, what was I doing? Jay, all the, all the time. You know, when you when you ske- schedule a Davidson, like, and you actually, like, really do decide to put Bob on a schedule. Yeah, you got you to have your head examined, right? <laughs> you know, or Furman, or Appalachian State, you know, or Murray State, or Belmont, or, you know, these teams that are. But what we've done is we have played the championship caliber teams from those leagues because they're so well coached. Those kids come in knowing that they should and can beat you. And we've managed to win them. Now, I mean, we beat Mercer at the last second shot. We beat Furman in the last possession. And, yeah, so you do wonder why you're doing it. But it's the right thing. Look, our number's nine. Our net number's nine. Why? We played four games uh, at independent, you know, in, uh, neutral sites. And we played two true road games. We played St. Louis and South, you know, South Florida. Not, you know, guarantee, not great teams, but really good teams. I mean, St. Louis got a chance to go to the tournament, right? And and won those games. And so, yeah, I, I look back and go, why did we do this? Why have I got Murray State coming in here when, oh, listen, and I don't care about perception. I don't care about people saying, well, if you, got, you guys weren't ready to play. No, wait a second. We can, we're going to be ready to play Murray State. We don't have to just be ready to play. We got to play really well, really well to beat. If we play good against Murray State, they'll beat us. We got to play better than good. So it's not about being – and the public will say, oh, my God. You know, you guys no, – that's not it, man. 40 minutes. And that's, a, and that's a hard game to play, the game before the kids leave for the holiday. Not if you that's don't – not if you want to have a Merry Christmas. I mean, you yeah. want to have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, you might want to have a Merry Christmas. They want to have a Merry Christmas. They got. They, they also want to see, spend some time Which, with their I, family. I go both they, ways, they've man. had enough of your act now. We celebrate, <laughs> we celebrate Hanukkah, and I got a Christmas tree, okay? I'm having it both ways. I, I hear. All right. Here's the most important question. All right. And, and this is really important because uh, you and I, we did a little coach to coach and we did handshakes. All right. I mean, you know, the handshakes, the shoulder, we've done the shoulder pat. We've done the, you know, the bro hug and everything. We've done the blow by. I mean, like, uh, you know, now you, you guys have had a little success. All right. Have the hand post game handshakes changed now that you guys are tougher out? Nah, you know what? In, in the league, we all hate each other, you know, so <laughs> yeah, we, we all, we all hate each other. So we all do. We respect each other. But we all hate each other, except everybody loves Frank Martin. You know, everybody loves Conzo, you know, but, 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 you know, we basically all hate each other. Um, 
I think I think there's I think it's just respect. Gosh, when you when you go study somebody else and you look at what they do and you understand why they do it, go, man, this guy runs good stuff. His kids play hard. And and so therefore, when you compete against another competitor that you respect because of how they do and what their kids do, and you've survived it, you know, you just hopefully that handshake should mean something because you went up against a worthy opponent. Well, your league, you got a lot of handshake because I'll tell you, every single night in your league, there are no rocking chair games in the SEC. Well, the, the it's about time, you know, back when back when you coached and when Jay played. The SEC had, you know, athletes and they had their moments, but there wasn't this commitment. Uh, there wasn't this the depth and breadth of the coaching. Um, and, and yeah, and, and the SEC network and ESPN, I think has really helped, you know, our league. Um, and I, I, I think if you look at the math too, uh, the, the guys that have gone to the NBA, uh, my goodness gracious, right now, I mean, you really, the ACC and the Big East dominated on all that, really. And, and right now, the SEC of the last five years has um, not dominated, but we've, we've clearly led. I'm not saying this just because of recruiting, but it's about player development and it's about those cultures. And it's about, you know, when, when the ACC was the, were the greatest conference, it wasn't just because of Duke and North Carolina. They had, that was the foundation. It was when Valvano wanted NC State or, or they wanted Wake Forest with Duncan or Gary wanted Maryland or all those. Yes, that's what I mean. When I was in the Big East, again, going back to, you know, early days, Big East, it wasn't just Connecticut and Georgetown and Syria. It was the depth and breadth. That's what it is right now. That's what you got in the AC, SEC right now. Literally right now, there are nine, nine teams in the SEC. They got legitimate chances to make this tournament and, and, and advance in the tournament. Nine. And that's, that's, that, that's pretty good. Coach Pearl, thank you so much, my brother. The league is fun. We look forward to seeing you. Hopefully we can get a chance to see you guys on uh... – a you know a game day or something like that and uh the only thing we could say is you know we'd invite you into the club but it would be a definitely a a huge moment for you to sacrifice that nice head of lettuce you have he won't do it yeah my dad my dad's my dad's a member of that club i think i got this like steel wool when my wife when my, my wife has got something in the pan that she can't get out she just takes and I'll just take take everything out. So appreciate what you guys do. Appreciate appreciate you very much. All right, brother. Thanks for Happy being holidays, with us, man. Okay. Thanks, Bruce. Appreciate it, man. War Eagle. Jay Bellis, it's the holiday season, so we're going to do a little, you know, you got to go shopping. Uh, are you going to shop for this team or you're not going to shop for this team? Are you shopping for Wake Forest? I mean, like, 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 are you buying Wake Forest? Are you gonna, you gonna go say, yeah, look at it, yeah, Wake Forest looks good. I think that would look good on me. Does Wake Forest would, look good on you? I would buy that because they are Wake Forest. It's a great advertisement for the positive nature of a transfer. So Alondis Williams transfers in from Oklahoma, where he averaged seven points a game. He's averaging twenty-one, and he's gone. He's gone from being a, a, a bit player uh, like I was to being a headliner and a star on a winning team. And uh, so there are those kind of positives. So yeah, I'm buying Wake Forest. Do I think they're a, a second weekend team? Not sure about that, but, but I think they're in good shape to make the NCAA tournament. I agree with that. I, I think they might be the second best team in, in the ACC. Um, you look at overall size experience. I mean, you're talking, you know, you're talking five seniors. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like even a guy like Dallas Walton transferred from Colorado, all those guys played for really good coaches too. Like, like he has his own former player, Williams. He's got obviously a lot of this Williams who played for Long Kruger. He's got Walton who played for Tad Boyle. Uh, even, uh, what is it? Lavarisa, uh, La uh, the kid from Indiana state played right. for Greg Lansing. I mean, look, they get a good shot. They run good offense. They play with pretty good pace. I- I'm buying them. Also, I will go to the mall immediately following the, the podcast LSU uh, again, two really good transfers. Tyree Easton obviously is really good. Xavier Pitson really good. Uh, complimenting Darius Day, who I I'm a big Darius Day fan. Uh, are you stopping by that window and saying, "Yeah, let me walk in there"? I think I'm going to buy a little LSU because they're yes. really defending as opposed to years past. They really guard, and that's uh, that, I think that's still Wake Forest's only loss. They they handle them pretty good at one of those uh, uh, tournaments, but. Um, I, I think Darius Days is an All-America caliber player. He'll be first team All-SEC. And when – I don't know what it is. Like, I, I'm gonna, I think I have them against Kentucky in early early January. I don't know what it is about, about LSU that we seem – not you, but, but we seem surprised when they're, when they're really good. And, uh, and, man, that place is, is always loaded with talent around that area, and they wind up getting a fair amount of it and usually perform at a high level. Uh, so I, I like LSU. I think they've got a real chance. Yeah, it's interesting because years past, they haven't guarded. They can really guard this year. I mean, like, really, really guard. Uh, last one, uh, back to your roots. SC's in the top 10. We talked about UCLA. They haven't played in a while. They were shut down for COVID. Another team, a veteran team, fourth tallest team in college basketball, another team that can really, really defend a six-nine point guard in Drew Peterson. You buying those guys? You you going down Rodeo Drive or what? Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm buying everything. You've given me three opportunities. I've bought them all, but but you, well, you got uh, money. Were, you can't hide your money. They were three no-brainers. Um, <laughs> so when your point about my roots, like I I, I grew up in Southern California, um, and I I think you and I have talked about this, maybe even on this podcast, if I had wanted to stay in Southern California, I would have gone to USC and wouldn't have blinked that, that, you know, to have, to have that mafia behind you, um, (laughs) that take care of their own, like USC is, is an awesome place, especially if you're going to stay in in Southern California. But I never, you know, I always thought it was a sleeping giant and never, never took off that way. They had great years and all that stuff, but never like this. And, and Andy Enfield and his staff have done a great job of, of turning that into a consistent winner with consistent, uh, outstanding players. And one of the players you didn't mention was Boogie Ellis, who transferred in from uh, Memphis. From Memphis, and he's made a made a difference. And Max uh, Agbankpalo, I think, is a really good player. One of those guys that's lengthy, that does a lot of different things, that that doesn't get the credit he deserves. Um, and then, um, like Isaiah Mosley's turned into a a great player. Great, great. Player. Like he's a great player. Like his brother was better, but he's pretty damn good. And and I think they've got a chance to to challenge UCLA for the whole for the the, the Pac-12 for the whole thing and Arizona because um, like I didn't yeah. think Arizona was going to be at the top of the league before this thing started and they're legit man they are really really good so <clears throat> that league is that league is going to be fun to watch at the top. Agbapola he's interesting because he you know came in really skinny he's like six nine guard yeah he came in really skinny physically wasn't ready and worked at it worked at it worked at it. 
he is a hybrid guard. I mean, like he can guard anyone. He's got ridiculous length. He's really, he was a point guard in high school. Uh, he, he is a really interesting player. Right, last one. We got, we, we don't have Kentucky and Louisville. We got Kentucky and Western Kentucky. I watched Western Kentucky against Louisville. Seven, five sharp. It, it's like, it, it's got a little Nerf basketball on him also. He's like, like he and Zach Eden should play one-on-one. It should be, uh, you know, pay for TV event. But Jamarius Hamilton, the transfer from Maryland. Sorry, Taylor. But he is playing at a high level. Uh, the McKnight kid, the point guard is physically strong, gets in the lane. I know they lost to Buffalo. I know they lost some games early. I mean, I, I wrote them down now. I mean, early on, they lost to South Carolina. They lost to, uh, I think it's Minnesota. They, they, lost, they lost to Buffalo. I watched that team the other day, though. They're playing almost all zone with sharp in the middle. They've got really good length. Uh, you know, they've got a really good toughness about them. Uh, and then, you know, Cameron Justice, I mean – there's justice because that dude is like a fifth year guy and he makes every freaking shot. Western Kentucky versus Kentucky. Obviously they're raising money also for uh, the red cross, but what do you think of Western Kentucky as a team and that game? I think if Western Kentucky were playing Kentucky uh, on December 11th, uh, they'd have a good chance to win but they're playing them now after Kentucky took that loss at Notre Dame. And that's why Seth sort of playing better teams and all that. I, I still don't think uh, Kentucky should have lost at Notre Dame. I think they're, they're better, but they did. But that was the first game they played in eight uh, games that they were playing somebody that could beat them. I like the, the teams they played them. They, they played before could not beat them no matter what. And, and I know Cal won't agree with that, but I think it's true. And now, uh, after they got smacked at Notre Dame, um, I think a little dose of reality is always good for anybody. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether you're a kid or a, an NBA player or playing the NFL or whatever. Um, that's good. And taking a loss isn't such a bad thing if it focuses you on uh, what you need to, to do to avoid that in the future, to get better, all that stuff. It was like Bruce Pearl's point about playing Murray State. Like yeah. what Murray State really does for them is, you know, playing a team that's going to win their league instead of playing some bye game that you're going to win by 100 is it simulates what you're going to get in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And, and this does the same thing for Kentucky. And the fact that they have to deal with um, – you know, they're going to, as soon as they play the game, they get to, they get their break and all that stuff. So there's a lot of things they have to deal with in order to perform at a high level. I think that's a good thing. I think they'll do it because they look like a different team the last couple games against Carolina and all that. That was not the team that was in South Bend. Oof. And, and that's a, that's a good thing for Kentucky that, that they can adjust and bounce back. And Xavier Wheeler against Carolina was ridiculously good. Uh, what do you have? Twenty-seven points, ten assists, all that. You know, one turnover. 20, Twenty-five, nine, four steals. Uh, Absurd. Actually, wasn't afraid. Like he came off those screens instead of thinking, "Should I? Shouldn't I?" He just hit a spot and elevated, got to the rim at, at, at basically any time you any time he wanted to. And I just thought the ball, their, their ball movement had a greater purpose. The one guy I'd like to see Kentucky, like I think Kellen Grady, he's. I'm not saying be selfish, but he's got to be more shot ready because. 
you know, you put him on a two side with Oscar Shibway and that thing goes in and it comes back out. He's got to be ready to just jump up because he's one guy. They're not really going to scrape on as far. If they do scrape on him, the ball's going to come back after him. I mean, you know, he's got to find a way to get where his shots are coming from. Because, I mean, you know, when he shoots it, I mean, I know the ball comes out a little sideways sometimes, but that damn thing looks good going in. Well, he's a he's a player. And to your point, if he takes a good shot, which he does, he takes good shots, yeah. but you're saying he needs to work to get more of those good shots. More of those good, good players shot. get good shots. Like if you're a really good player, that like people say, well, hey, you got 20. Like a really good player finds a way to get open. Right. But but you know, my my point on that is is if he takes a good shot and misses it, look who he's got to go get it. Yeah, and and that's pay, why that's why for them to turn the ball over, uh, you turn the ball over as you know better than anybody. Uh, one, you don't get a shot, so you don't get a chance for an offensive rebound, and you don't get give yourself a chance to get fouled. And that's what Kentucky does pretty well. And they need to get fouled more. I think need to get into the paint more to give themselves a chance to to get fouled more often. So to, to catch it to shoot, like Jay Wright at Villanova says all the time, don't catch ready to shoot, catch it to shoot and make somebody take the shot away from you. And then to, to, to drive it and then drive it to get into the paint to make something happen. Not just drive to dish, drive to score and make them take it away from you. That's the way you're going to draw two defenders and be able to make a play. Yeah. Be interesting. That game will be a fun game to watch. I think that, that Western Kentucky, Kentucky, and see if Kentucky – you know, look, they're going to play against zones, and that's a big, long, athletic zone that Western Kentucky plays with a guy in the middle that, you know, she. I think he gets him in foul trouble because I think he gets real physical and gets through his body. And I, I was impressed with Shiba. That move he made on the left block the other day where he looked to shoot the jump hook and then reverse to the other side. Yeah. And then, and then knocked down two foul line jumpers like he expected to make them. I mean, like with a pretty nice release. I mean – he he's changing their team. It'll be see. It'll be interesting to see how much some other guys can Collins eventually play. Can Bryce Hopkins eventually play? I mean, as as they build a, a chemistry, you know, Davion Mitchell, uh, uh, Mintz is gonna is gonna play Mintz. I mean, he's gonna make shots. So it'll be fun to, fun to watch that team in that league where if you can't guard the ball and if you can't move the ball and, and compete offensively, I mean, the SEC top to bottom. I mean, you, you, you're going to have to play really well to win a game in that league. It's a good league. I mean, that, 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 and the, uh, I mean, I know the big East is having a great year. I mean, Creighton big just 12 part in the big 12, like the big 12 will get the highest percentage of teams because there are Seven. only 10, as you know, in the big 12, um, they'll get the highest percentage of teams in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but then I think the, the sec uh, will probably be next as far as how many teams they get. Um, but you know, like the, the, the big East, um, not to get too far off topic on this, but the big East, the more I watch that, like, I love Xavier. I mean, yeah, Xavier really is really good. And then really Creighton good. watching them take like Ryan Hawkins, that dude transferred in from like Southeast Missouri state or yeah, something really, like a division yeah. two or division three, that dude's a baller. And, uh, yeah, and they, they, the they just crushed them. Uh, I, I was really surprised at that. Not not surprised Creighton won because Omaha is a tough place to play and, and Villanova's lost there before. But the way they took them apart was really yeah. impressive. Yeah. You know, the Big East is, uh, I agree. And I, Big 12, seven teams in the top 27 in defensive efficiency to Big 12. Wow. That's crazy. So They're going to ruin everyone, their reputation. Yeah. Everyone have a wonderful holiday season. Taylor, Sarah, thank you. 
very much for all your hard work. Have a great holidays with your family. 